0: What's up, South Point? My name's Kenny. Man, we are so blessed to have a praise and worship band like we do, man, day in and day out, to be here every week and every service. I just, I'm so grateful for them. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. What a, We're in that weird time right now, right? That weird space between Christmas and New Year's when there's, there's no school. Some people are on vacation. People that are at work are acting like they're on vacation. We're still eating lots of goodies. We're still over and eating. But man, we know what's around the corner, don't we? January 2nd. I'm looking forward to that. Life's gonna settle back into work, school, those gray days of winter, dieting, darkness, very little sunlight. You know, I got a sister that lives in Alaska and she posted a temperature the other day. With the temperature also had the sunrise and the sunset. The sun rose at 1057 a.m. And it's set at three thirty-five PM. That's four and a half hours of sunlight. That's winter, <laughs> but that's what's coming, right? There's not much to look forward to for quite some time, but isn't that how life is? Right? Most, most of what we live is in the ordinary. After months of looking forward to the the birth of a baby, what happens? You finally get that bring, bring that baby home. And then reality sets in, and all the things that those veteran parents warned you about, right? The sleepless nights, the, the crying, the feeding, the colic, the mountains of diapers all start to set in. And the same was true with baby Jesus. After the angels had gone and the shepherds returned to work, where did Dad leave Mary and Joseph? They were settling down, they were taking care of the baby, but maybe, maybe they didn't have a whole lot of help. Now what? You don't want to give credit to minister Bob Russell for much of the thought that goes behind this message. He points out that it wasn't like fairy tales where everything was just happily ever after. And sure, there was a lot of joy in holding this special baby in their arms, right? Pondering what it all meant, wondering what this was gonna be like having this, this partnership with God. But they were still far from home. They needed a place to live for a while and I doubt they, <laughs> I doubt they stayed in the stable for very long with them animals. Mary had to be like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, I live on a farm and my wife ain't happy when the wind blows the wrong way, let alone actually living in the barn. I know Mary had to be like, you know what? That first night caught us, caught us off guard, but we got to do something now. We can't stay here with this livestock forever. So Joseph probably found a modest home or he probably found a relatives to stay with where they, that they could go to until they could go to the temple and actually dedicate the baby boy through circumcision, which was a sign of belonging to the Jewish covenant with God. And he didn't really know too much about postpartum depression back in those days. And some of you may have experienced that, that letdown after childbirth. How was her physical recovery? How traumatic was that for her without any epidural or without any drugs? And some of you might have went through that and made your props if you did. But I wonder sometimes, did Mary feel low? Did she feel sad? Did she cry? I mean, I love having kids, but I like grandkids a lot more. I ain't gonna lie. You can send them home when you're done. You can send them home, fill them up full of sugar, get them on that sugar high, and send them home when you're tired. Payback's a son of a gun, ain't it? (laughs) But Mary and Joseph, they must have stayed in Bethlehem for a while because it was like 40 days before they could even present Jesus in the temple. And offer the sacrifice for their firstborn, and where Mary could be declared ceremonially clean. And that's where they encounter the two old prophets, Simeon and Anna, which had to be another spiritual high for them, right, as they were foretold the things that Jesus would do. Luke says, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. After the child grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. We also know that the wise men showed up, right? At some point, it might have been several days, several weeks, maybe even months later, we're not 100% sure. But that visit actually triggered King Herod ordering that all baby boys under the age of two be put to death to get rid of this messianic child that would be a rival to his throne. And that triggered Joseph taking his baby out of Israel. It says, now when they, and they're talking about the wise men here, now when they had departed, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, "Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you." For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by the night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill the law. Or this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, "Out of Egypt I called my son." How dramatic was that? You think about that. They had to go live in a foreign land where they didn't know anybody strange culture strange language for how long we don't know it could have been for a few weeks it could have been for a few months it could have been for a few years but God told them to go and told them to wait didn't that kind of speak to you a little bit sometimes we're just called to be obedient we may not understand why we're just called to do it We may not understand why God says to do this or God says to do that, but we obey because we just trust God, and then we have to wait. Sometimes we get to see the results of our obedience, but sometimes we never get to see the results of it. We never get to know why God did this. But sometimes we're called to wait for God's timing. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. See, the fuller story to that is they, they had to wait quite a while to return to Nazareth. And even then, it seemed like they didn't really want to go. And maybe they didn't want to have to deal with the gossip. Maybe they didn't want to deal with the whispers and the name-calling. Because people there knew of Mary's virgin birth, right? That cloud that kind of covered her that whole time, I'm sure it did. And so this family is living under this cloud of suspicion this whole time. We can, all, we can only imagine what that was like. And then Scripture goes silent. And we know nothing about Jesus' boyhood other than the incident that happened when he was 12 when his family travels to the temple for Passover and they accidentally leave Jesus there. It makes me feel better as a parent. (laughs) All we know after that is that as Jesus was a teenager, he continued his childhood growth. It says, Jesus increases in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, centuries later, there's, there's some, some false biographers who made up these stories about Jesus' boyhood, and these, these fake gospels are not taken seriously, but it is understandable how some people would want to let their curiosity get the best of them, right? Try to fill in those gaps. I mean, wouldn't it be cool to know more about Jesus' boyhood? Wouldn't it be cool to know how Jesus as a teen handled things that a typical teen has to handle? But God didn't tell us about Jesus' childhood because it's not something we need to know. The real Gospels written by contemporaries and and eyewitnesses of Jesus, they they have a purpose. And that's to direct us to the saving work of Jesus, focusing on his entry into the ministry around the age of 30, leading up to his crucifixion and resurrection around the age of 33. Until then, he was probably just known as a construction worker doing a family business. But think about Mary, man. She would have had to wait 33 years to be vindicated. See, the resurrection proved what she claimed all those years prior. Proved that it was true and that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and that he was God's son. He's not Joseph or any other man's, he was divine. See, those childhood and young adult years were years of preparation for ministry. And maybe it didn't seem like God was doing anything in those silent years. But God was working in Jesus' life to prepare him for his mission. And I wonder how many of us can recognize that. That God is working in our lives as well. And it may not seem like there's a whole lot going on in your life right now, but what if God is preparing you for a greater ministry? The time isn't right, and maybe, maybe, maybe you're just not ready now. But don't discount the things that are going on in your life. The work that he's doing in you now because I can't tell you how many times in my own life I've looked back and I thought about things that, that were probably God ordained or probably God protected I can't tell you how many times I look back in my life when I was literally mad at God for things that are going through things that I was that was going on in my life and then later on I got a chance to look back in it and I went oh okay I see it see we love those times of dramatic divine intervention don't we Those spiritual highs, man, those are so exciting, but most of life is not lived on the mountaintops. Those times are rare, and yeah, they're nice, but we can't be consistently seeking that kind of emotional high. We love those times when our prayers are getting clearly answered, don't we? When we come back from a church retreat or we come back from a concert and we're on a spiritual high because something moved us. And we'd love to see our family and we'd love to see our friends come to faith. And it's so good to come to church with an awesome time of singing and chairs full of people. A sermon like God speaking directly to you, and that's great stuff. But most times that ain't the case, let's be honest. The building's not going to be full, There going to be plenty of chairs that are open. The sermon's going to be a solid single or a double, it ain't going to be a home run the band and the singers are a little off, the lights aren't working right, the audio, something's going on with that. Maybe you don't even feel like going to church. Maybe you don't even feel like reading your Bible. And you don't believe that your prayers are getting answered. You're wondering what's wrong with you because you don't feel close to God. But I need you to remember this. See, Jesus is the three closest disciples. Peter, James, and John. Literally had a mountaintop experience with God. They got to see Jesus transfigured into this dazzling white light. Moses and Elijah appeared. They got to see them. And then a voice of God declared, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. They heard that voice. And Peter's like, this is awesome. Let's set up some tents. Let's have a revival. Let's do this. Jesus is like, hold on a minute, man. You're needed at the bottom of the hill. And then they have to go down to the bottom of a hill and deal with a demon-possessed boy who needed serious help. And I mean, that's still pretty dramatic, right? But it wasn't an awesome experience. It, wasn't, it was a tough one. But isn't most of life lived in the valley of commonplace? That's when the real test of our faith and the real test of our obedience and the real test of our character is displayed. How do you handle the day-to-day obedience? Will you be consistent through those ups and downs? Will you be consistent through the good and the bad? Will you still be faithful even when you're in the valley of darkness? How do you live faithfully after the angels are gone? It's like New Year's resolutions, right? We don't stick with those Difficult challenges based on our moods. We stick with them based on our character. See, the call of Jesus is, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And listen, I say this all the time, and I'm gonna say it again, I fail daily. And yes, I'm a human and I'm a pastor, and, and, but I still make mistakes, I still get mad, I still say things I shouldn't, say. I still make mistakes. But are you obedient then? I mean, will you carry the Christmas spirit into next week, into next year? Will you continue to show up in church and worship God faithfully in February? Will you make Him your priority in March? Will you continue to be kind and cheerful in June? Will you continue to be generous to those who need you and serve those who need you in August? Are you still going to be reading your Bible in September? Are you going to be more than a holiday Christian who, who gets active only when they feel like it? Just when you have that, that warm and sentimental feeling? Or will you get down in those trenches of daily anxiety, desperation, fear, loneliness, apathy, laziness, and press closer to God? God when it's inconvenient, when it's uncomfortable, when it's painful. Bob Russell says the test of a godly marriage is not the honeymoon, but six months later when your unkept mate is lying on the couch, coughing and sneezing with the flu, and asking you to bring them some hot soup and fresh orange juice. And I added, when you're watching the Michigan-Michigan State game, are you going to be faithful then? Can you still be tender and loving and kind and patient when the angels are gone? When the newness of your occupation wears off and the initial words of encouragement have all faded? Do you show up on time when it's cold outside and you don't feel like it? Do you maintain a daily intensity and give your best to everyone around you when everybody else is going at half speed? See, when you come up out of those baptism waters, I tell people all the time, I don't know what you feel other than wet. I don't know if you got shivers going down your spine, if you're feeling some warm, fuzzy feeling. But it doesn't matter because you'll be living by faith. You will not be living by feelings. Feelings come and go, faith is here forever. And you may leave here and, God forbid, get in an accident. You might get into a fight with your spouse. Or you might get in a fight with your parents. You may undergo some type of spiritual attack because Satan's upset because he lost you. And you may be tempted like never before. But ain't that life? The difference is now you have God to help you see through, help see you through it. See, it's it's important that our expectations are realistic. Is 2022 going to be any better than 2021? Your family, your your finances, your health, God forbid, a death of a loved one. Nobody knows. That's why our big idea is the joy of Christmas is not about today or tomorrow, but about forever. See, man, he offers us hope. Hope that sustains us through good times and through bad times. Jesus came and he changes changes everything. Because regardless of what happens, we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. See, you need Jesus not just because you might die today, but because we get to live on tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. And every day after that. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you don't get to look forward to that. But you can fix that today. It's the best decision I ever made, and it's the best decision anybody that is saved, anybody that has a relationship with him has ever made. And if you haven't made that decision yet, then today's the day, and you can do that. And they have made it so simple. You just got to text your name, seven three four three zero four seven two four eight. Shoot an email to next at southpointcc.com. It really is that simple. If you're ready to take that step and have a relationship with Christ, Talk to somebody up front. There is not a question that you're going to ask that they're afraid you're going to ask. They're not not afraid of tough questions because they're not afraid to say, I don't know. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you. Man, they can help you in making the best decision you've ever made to help get you ready for baptism. If you're ready to be a Christ follower, do that. But if you're already a Christ follower, there's a couple other ways you can respond to what you've just heard. We're going to give back to God and we're going to finish this year strong. And when you give, you're actually investing in the the mission, right? Because important things happen and lives are changed. Your giving to our ministry has made it possible to make all kinds of differences. We saw God move in people's lives, and many people took the next step. But of course, the best thing is always the stories of people who have made decisions to follow Christ. And because of your giving, and because of us being together in this, because we are the body of Christ, 83 people were baptized into Christ last year alone. You did that. Thank you for your giving. And if you're a guest today, man, we don't want your money. We don't want anything from you. If you want to give, feel free. But we do not want you to think it's something you have to do. Let it pass. But thank you guys for your faithful giving. You're also invited to share in this time of communion. When you come in each week, you pick up your communion at the doors and you peel back the cover and you eat eat the bread and drink the juice, and it represents the body of Christ in his blood to proclaim your belief in the gospel, to proclaim your need for a savior, the value of fellowship. But if you don't have a relationship with Christ, anybody can use these next few moments to pray, to reflect on the relationship with God, to confess anything that's keeping you far away from him. Because I'm here to tell you, you are not here today by accident. Yesterday was Christmas. Today is probably the hardest day for anybody to come to church, and you're here for a reason. God loves you that much. 2 Corinthians nine fifteen says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the gift. Thank you for his obedience thank you for the work you've done in this church the people's lives that have changed the people that you've fed through us the people thank you for using us people have been clothed people have been put up temporary housing people have been helped in ways we can't even comprehend there are so many different avenues going on in this church that i'm sure none of us know 100 of what's going on but you do and you continue to work and you continue to thrive father god help us to continue this mission god be with us so that we can glorify you in 2022 21 was a rough one but nothing was rough compared to what jesus went through so we ask you to use us use us in ways use us in your ways We don't know how that is, but you do. So the offer's there. Use us. Help us to glorify you. Help us to honor you. Help us to to love others the way you do. Help us to see people the way you do. And be with us so that we can make sure everybody that we talk to at least knows about you. Be with us so that we can be there and love them the way you do.